In this episode, you will meet Alexandra Gomez, a lawyer specialized in a very unusual area, football. Most of you operating in male-dominated working environments will relate with what Alexandra is sharing. We'll also talk about the change one goes through during a career and how our approach to various things transforms, from work, through family, to building better opportunities for those who come after us. Enjoy! Hi, welcome to another uh, She Rocks episode. Uh, this time uh, we are having another guest from Latin America, but from Europe as well. Uh, it's, it's an interesting mix and Maka is very happy because this is our first Uruguayan uh, guest on the show. Uh, allow me to introduce you to Alexandra and please, uh, because this is how we do it, um, Alexandra, share with us and with our audience something about yourself. Hi, well, uh, first of all, I want to thank you very much for the invitation. It's really my pleasure to be here. So thank you very much. Uh, well, um, I am Uruguayan. Uh, I'm also half Dutch. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I now live in the Netherlands. I'm uh, a lawyer and a notary public. I'm also an English teacher. Um, I studied all that in Uruguay, and then I decided to do a master's in somewhere in Europe and of course I was tempted by the Netherlands because of my of my blood and uh, I thought okay it would be nice to be a bit more with my grandmother and my sister who lived in the Netherlands um, and my husband also wanted to do a master's and we both find um, a, a position in, in different masters so we came to the Netherlands for, for one year. I did a master's in commercial law which is not the field that I'm uh, now working on. I work in, in football law. Um, and during that master's, I, I had as an optional uh, subject. So it was actually something a bit more of fun for me and not I didn't really see it as something that would help me in my profession or something, but more something that I was interested in and to see um, a topic that was slightly different to what we were seeing all the time in the Masters of Commercial Law, and that was sports law. And I ended up doing my uh, thesis Masters in sports law, and I ended up working in this. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, pretty peculiar because it's not how I really planned it, but how it sort of ended up. And also because of that um that uh, subject that I opted for in university, completely optional, is that I ended up in fifth pro because one of the guest lecturers um, of the of the of that subject was um, the then head of legal of fifth pro. And when he came to give the lecture, I was really interested by what he was saying. I, I had never heard of fifth pro. I had no clue. I thought this must be something connected to FIFA. Um, and then I found out that it's it's not really. Uh, so the connection, of course, is in the football players, but FIFA is the, the global uh, players union. So it's uh, an association of professional football players, completely independent from FIFA. But of course, players work for clubs who are members of federations, who are members of FIFA. So in the end, there is a, a link. But not always the interests are the same uh, between FIFA and FIFPRO. So more than being a part of it, sometimes we're a little bit in a rivalry. Um, 
but but well so uh because i found out about fifro then and i really liked it and he mentioned to me that they were actually looking for a legal counsel i applied for a position there still not knowing exactly what i was doing because our plan with my husband had always been we will go back to uruguay we only go you know abroad for one year and then we go back and i discussed it with my husband he said you know what just apply and then if they pick you then we see uh but then the procedure took really long because um yeah there were lots of applicants and i don't know exactly why but it was really like six months or something the, the whole process so in between we went back to uruguay because it was so slow that the masters was already over and then it was already our time to go back and then when i was in uruguay they called me for an interview i was like oops <laughs> And then I remember very well discussing it. I was at my parents' house um, having dinner, and my, and I said, okay, I will just tell them to do a Skype, you know, call or something. I mean, now if if it was in this context, it would like it would have been like the most normal thing ever because everything is uh, through video conference. But back then it was not that common, and my father, of course older than me as well he told me like oh no no if you want that job you need to be there you need you know you need to with the time frame when was that what what year are we talking about that was in 2000 uh well the, the masters was from half 2011 to half 2012 and this was already in march 2013 Okay, so the world is changing. Go yeah, on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and he was like, no, you really have to go. And I was like, yeah, but then like that interview will cost me like more than a thousand euros because <laughs> I needed to buy a ticket to get there. So, um, and and he was really supportive and he said like, listen, if this is something that you really want to do, if, you, if you're really convinced that, that, that FIFRI is your place, I will help you uh, with, with, with buying the tickets. Uh, and because I really think that it makes a difference, you know, knowing you, he said, like, you're going to go like, boom. And I was like, okay. Um, and, and yeah, and so I traveled to the Netherlands for, for that interview. And, and I'm really glad for that because it went really well. And then they picked me. So in May already, I started working in FIFRO. So this was March. I went back to Uruguay. We sold everything. <laughs> My husband was like also finalizing all his uh, things there. And, and we rushed back to the Netherlands. And then in May, I already started um, yeah, working in FIFPRO. Awesome. And you are now living in Netherlands for, if I count well, more than seven years. Yes. Um, and how, how does that feel for you, like uh, being in Uruguay, Latin America, and now in uh, in in Netherlands? You, you, where are you based? In Amsterdam or? I'm based in Harlem. It's um, a city that is really near uh, Amsterdam. It's 15 minutes by train. It's like a mini Amsterdam, um, but a little bit more peaceful. <laughs> Um, I have kids as well, so it's. I think it's nicer to live here, and it's really beautiful. And I, yeah, we we love it here, and that's uh, of course why we why we stayed as well. Um, but uh, yeah, na naturally you do miss uh, many things. Um, I have my my quota of Uruguay that I need to go every year. It's like a must for me. So this year I'm pretty stressed out because 
I'm not sure whether it will be possible. And, and it's really, yeah, disturbing because I love being here knowing that I can go to Uruguay <laughs> at least like three weeks or something. Um, I have but, a question yeah. yes. on top of that because um, what about the thing, I don't know, at least it happened to me. Like I used to justify myself about Uruguay. Like I come from a small country between Argentina and Brazil. Like nobody knows uh, that, where is Uruguay, if it's Paraguay, if it's Uruguay. <laughs> Even that you are half Dutch. I, I would love to know, like, uh, because I think we have some cultural stuff about that, especially female, about how we define ourselves due to our origin. Like, how was it to jump into Netherlands coming from Uruguay? I imagine you, you, you must, have, must have explained several times where Uruguay is and that we are a yeah. country and that we exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and and it's, it's really annoying. And this is not like uh, to disrespect Paraguay, but it's like everyone thinks that Uruguay is the capital of Paraguay. Like, why? I mean, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little bit strange. But actually, my experience, I mean, I I always describe it as you know this small country be between Argentina and Brazil. But I I was always brought up in a way that um, Uruguay was special. Um, I, I got that in my education at school, uh, from my father, from my family, like, yeah, yeah, we are uh, an, an underdeveloped country, but we are special. <laughs> and, and in a way, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's weird. Um, and in a way, taking distance, some of those things, you know, when you, when you take distance, you see things better. And, you, and I do realize that there are differences differences with many other countries and that many things are maybe more advanced uh, compared to the region but there are other that are not and uh, there's this culture in Uruguay that um, in some places that yeah yeah but we're not Latins yes we are 100% 200% Latin we we are and it's not shameful and it's it's great there I also I also learned to see that you know like you watch movies and you already have this role modeling where like, oh, Latin is already like a disadvantage or something. And in many ways it is an advantage. And and I I don't know, I have learned to see a lot of, um, yeah, of qualities and also of disadvantages and things that you have to acknowledge that they are not good or they do not help or that in other cultures they do better. And I think it's really, it's also really cool to to open up and and try to learn from all those other cultures what is positive to them. And then sometimes the mix is a little bit like uh, explosion. I sorry, I'm, I'm I'm doing gestures, but you 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 can only hear me. <laughs> uh, so um, for example, with me, I think I have like also from the Dutch. Uh, culture that I'm pretty um, direct when I when I want to put a message through I just go and do it but I do it in a Latin way so it can be pretty harsh because you can say something but if you say moving your body and your hands and with your very big eyes yeah it can be sometimes a little bit intimidating so I've experienced that and I'm like yeah but the Dutch are so great why is it not a problem when they do it and it's like yeah okay because I'm also Latin and, so a, and, like, a, and, a, and a girl 
Yeah, 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 as well, as well, exactly, exactly. Um, but well, but yeah, that's that's a little bit the experience, like in between uh, countries. But I do see, I do see the benefits. Um, I think it's it's really nice, and it helps you. Well, in my job, of, of course, as well, I have visited a lot of countries more than I ever dreamt, and and I have met people from from various cultures who see things differently and and the the more you travel and the more you meet people the more you understand that there are not so many right and wrong approaches and there are i don't know there are interesting things of of all from all around let's say i love the how you framed it but and that's even more interesting for me because Okay, we cannot ignore the fact that you are a woman working in a football players organization, which is when you say football, everybody thinks of men. Like it's a dominantly male sport, dominantly in terms of players who earn most of the money, sport clubs, but also uh, in terms of fans, like not many women watch the sport as le- at least I, I i don't know the percentages but I, i'd say it's way lower than than uh, what is what it is for men so now you are getting into that organization and then you're also traveling around the world as a woman a representative of fifpro can you share some of those experiences how they made you feel uh, how is it to be a woman in this type of uh, profession yeah so um Well, many things to say here. So when I started working in FIFPRO, I was the first foreigner to work in FIFPRO in the headquarters. It's an international organization, but until then it was quite small and it was Dutch-based and all the employees were Dutch. I was half Dutch, true, but I was more of a foreigner also because I didn't even speak the language then. So I, because of me, they had to, to change the language to English, for example. Uh, and I was the first woman in the legal department, the first uh, women lawyer in FIFRO. I'm still the only women lawyer in FIFRO. We are not that many anyway. But those things, when you you normally don't think of this, you know, before this interview, I was like, oh, what do I have to share? Do I have something to share? You know, we, I don't know, I tend to get these feelings like, oh, but do I really have something to say about this? And then you start realizing like, hey, I've done quite a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and, Uh, when I started traveling um, and also in the events, in the inner events of FIFPRO, because we have members from all around the world, our members are the unions in the countries, and in the unions in the countries, they were all men as well, at least in the leadership. They, they had secretaries, of course, but in the leadership, then it was all male. So, in one hand, they were happy, oh, there's a female but not in the right way because they were happy to see a female, but they were not that happy when they had an opinion on what they were doing. So it was a little bit challenging because in a way I was in a, it could be said in a higher position that they were because I was in the headquarters. So I could in many things tell them what they could or they could not do. And that was not liked at all. Um, and when I went to conferences, I was, completely shocked as well because then I thought, oh, okay, but this is like a sports law conference or a football law conference, but this is really lawyers, so it's not like the union that I understood a bit more that in that moment it was more male-dominated. 
And I started going to these international conferences with 800 lawyers. And then I saw like, oh, there's a woman. Wow. Like <laughs> you spotted them like, I don't know, maybe 5% or something. It was really, really crazy. And it still is. It still is. But now, I don't know, maybe it's a 20% that are women or 25 sometimes. And okay, that's great. You would never hear a woman in the stage. Uh, so that was also like a breaking point a couple of years ago. And I remember the first con- the first very big Congress I went to and I thought like, wow, imagine if I was there speaking. And then when I was speaking there a couple of years later, I thought like, whoa, like it, in one hand it happened quickly. On the other hand, it's like we're in the 21st century. Why is this not normal? So it is challenging. And something else that I wanted to say, because it's, it's also, it is so annoying and it happens to me in every Congress. So now we know each other a lot, you know, with many different lawyers. So you go to these conferences and you have these small talks. And every time, every time in every Congress, and now we COVID, we don't have them, but normally every month I have a Congress or even more than one per month. They come like, oh, how do you do it? What did you do with your kids? And I go like, and what did you do with your kids? Because these male that are asking me what I do with my kids also have children, but for them, then they, and they go like, well, they are with their mom. And I'm like, well, mine are with their dad. I will not abandon them. Like, chill, they are fine. And it happens every time. And, I, and they don't say it in a bad way. You know, it's not like ill intentions or anything. But it's unbelievable that we still have to hear that. It's like, so in a way, it's like, if you're a good professional, then you're a shitty mother. Yeah. If you're a good mother, then you cannot be a good professional. Uh, and I think that you can, you can more or less do all. And that doesn't mean that you're perfect and you have your ups and downs and, and you struggle sometimes and, and you feel the pressure because it's society, but it's also... Uh, it's also yourself. I mean, I, I realize that I put pressure on myself as well. Um, when when I'm working sometimes a lot and I go like, oh my God, I'm not being a good mom. I'm not good, you know. Uh, and the other way around, uh, when you're a lot with your kids and you're like, oh, actually I should be working. So, yeah, I think that we were brought up as well. I mean, I don't want to blame any, everything on society. Some things might be my own mess, but I think that we were brought up in a way that that we have to, we have to be perfect. <laughs> it's uh, it's weird. I'm so grateful because that you brought this to the conversation because actually that's why we created She Rocks Global because we are tired because everybody like we are hard on ourselves. Society is hard on ourselves. We need to be perfect. If you're a mother, you're like for example, I'm not a mother, and people tell me, oh yeah, that's because you don't have kids. Like. Okay, if you're successful, it's because you don't have kids. If you have kids, you are not a good mother, or if not, you should be an excellent executive. So thank you, because you're a, a testimony that, that this, this happens. And uh, uh, and we need to keep on working, but still, this, this kind of conversations is to showcase that this happens. It's to put the, the topic on the table and to understand that we can be successful leaders, we can be amazing professionals, but we can also... Uh, build amazing families. So thank you, Alex. And I want to ask you, uh, what made you succeed succeed and achieve all of this? What brought you here? 
Um, wow, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think that I, I always, I always, I went, since I was really little, I always wanted to make a difference. Like not to make a difference, but like, you know what, like to, to contribute with something like to the world. Like, I know it sounds a little bit idealistic. Yeah, doing that. But, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it's like, and like fairness is what attracts me the most. And what I found, of course, we have not talked about what FIFPRO is and we don't have a lot of time for this, but although everyone thinks of football players and they go like, oh, these millionaires, like, oh, really, do they need a union? I know that that is what everyone thinks because, of course, what do we see from football? We watch TV and then you see the superstars. Well, those are not the football players uh, in their majority. That is a very, very, very small percentage of the professional football players around the world. And the truth is that it is like a very, very cruel industry. It's really cruel. And the, the delay in payment of salaries, for example, is much larger than than in any other industry that I know of, at least. Um, so there are lots of things to do and they need they need help. And and I think that these things have always triggered me, you know, um, when you think that you can you can make a difference. When I was asked in, in 2017 to be a, a judge in the uh, dispute resolution chamber of FIFA, that is a, um, it's a legal body within FIFA uh, that resolves international disputes between clubs and players. Most of the times it's clubs that are not paying the salaries of the players. This chamber exists already for almost 20 years, and there had never been a woman as a judge. They have 26 judges, 26 judges. For 20 years, there had not been any women. And I was like, oh my God. And I thought, oh, am I prepared? Because women also tend to get that feeling like, am I good enough? And then I thought like, you know what? I will be good enough if I'm not now, but I need to give it a try. And I need to to occupy that position that it is for women and there should be much more women there. And it's crazy that there are not more. So I joined the FIFA uh, Dispute Resolution Chamber in 2017 and I'm still a judge there. But I thought when I was appointed, it was like, wow, this is like a breaking moment. Now it will go like, woo, and half of the members will be women. Well, three years later, we are two women. <laughs> so in 26, we are two. It's getting better, but seriously, it's, it is completely nuts. It is completely nuts. But yeah, um, it's the same as what I was saying with the conferences. When I started in this in 2013, there were no women speakers. They were not, and they were great. There were great lawyers, great, with great ideas, with great education, uh, great speakers as well. But they were just not, you know, like, yeah, not for the stage. <laughs> and now you see it more and more. There's a lot of pressure, of course, uh, nowadays, because now it's not well seen anymore when you have, for example, a panel of four or five persons and there's no women in it. It's like, well, what happened? So it is, it is evolving. But I also hate the fact that you hear people saying like, oh yeah, but that woman is there because they needed to put a woman. So then they put her. Without knowing any 
any background, anything. I, I, I was listening to a very, a very good lawyer who works in, in, in FIFA now, and she has a really good position, and she's really pretty. And somehow that went against her, or that still goes against her, because it's like, mm, how did she get there? And, and uh, she was saying that, she was explaining it in a conference, and I thought, like, it's amazing, it's great that you're saying this, because no one says it. And, and she said, like, when I started being good and I started getting better positions, it was like, oh, I wonder what she's doing, and, and people were inventing stuff. And, and, I mean, yeah, she's guilty of being pretty and smart. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, it can be pretty cruel. Um, but I don't know, I, with these things, for me, they're, they energize me, you know? Like, the more difficult I see the path, like, the more, the more I go for it. So this first Congress I went to, and I now think of it, I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't know anything. I was really new in this. And I saw this man, and I was already raising my hand, like, just to show that there was a woman there, you know? I don't know if I really had something to say, but it was like... <sighs> So, yeah, I don't know. I think that we, we need to keep on pushing this and that even though the situation is better now, in, in not only in football, but everywhere, we're still far from where we should be. And, yeah, we still need... Alexandra, for me, it's so beautiful to hear you talk because my dominant area is tech. And in there, it's also man, 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 man. And then there's a woman and then she's probably... Uh, a girlfriend of somebody, a wife, or that's how she got here. So I, I, I feel like uh, when I was listening to you, I feel like that when you are in such a male-dominated industry, that we tend to understand the burden much more than when you are in less dominated industry, when you are working in some areas where you have at least a similar amount of men and women, then you tend to not notice it. But I've spoken with a lot of women who then climb the ladder, no matter where in the industry. And once you get to the sea level, suddenly you're again an, a lonely woman in a room full of men. And and But this is what I wanted to ask you. Did you think about yourself being like a woman professional before you started working in Fifth Pro? Or is it something that just came to you because you were overwhelmed and you just couldn't ignore it? But did you were you thinking about it before? And also, if you touch base a little bit on this segment of how, when you look back at yourself in 2013 and getting asked those questions or um, talking with men who are in lower positions than you are and trying to uh, be... A, a female in this industry and how you changed from how you acted in 2013 to how you act now. What have you learned? What can you share around that? Okay. Um, well, lots of things. Um, no, I was just now remembering something that um, when when I was in high school, still in high school, there was a, a program, maybe Maka remembers, of DSM. So it's a junior achievement uh, program and then it was really interesting and they were pairing us with, with people of different industries, depending on what your interests were. So I had said that I liked politics. Um, so they, and I was extremely lucky, I guess, and I got uh, to be um, the, the partner of 
uh, the Ministry of Education and Culture in Uruguay, the minister. So it was, yeah, an unbelievable experience. And Sorry, and I don't think it was luck. I remember you were a great student and everybody at school knew you were very smart. I don't think <laughs> it's about luck. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, well, but yeah, anyway, I think it was also a little bit of luck. But anyway, uh, so um, when I was with him, I thought, like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I spent a whole day with the minister and, and trying to see what he was doing, what he was working in. And of course, we got reporters not to talk with me, but more to talk with the, with the minister. But they, they were interested in this program, like seeing this young student uh, with the minister. So they were asking me, like, why are you here? So I explained and I, And I say, well, that I, that I liked politics. So, yeah, and, and I had been paired with him. And they were like, oh, really? Wow. And as a woman in, in, in politics, like, do you, do you see it would be even possible for you to become a, a ministry of culture and education? And they really posted like that. And I was like, what? I think I was 16 or maybe top 17. Uh, and I was like, listen, I can not only be the Minister of Culture and Education, I can become the President of the Republic. <laughs> and, 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 I went, and the minister was laughing and he told me like, hey, hey well done, you know. And, but yeah, you know, it was just a, a conversation we had because it was for, for the written press, for a newspaper. I never expected that the following day it was like the, the full double page in the middle of the newspapers. The next, then it was like the next president of Uruguay is female. And then my picture there, I was like, oh my gosh. Imagine that that was not really pleasant for being in high school. Everyone was like, what? <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like I have always gotten that thing of like don't push me like don't tell me i can't if you tell me i can't i will do it <laughs> so so you're yeah. giving me space for my next question what frightens you what is challenging for you right now or what frightens you um well huh, that's a tricky one uh, i think that what frightens me is that Because I'm, I, I'm, I am pretty idealistic, so although I understand and I see that there is discrimination and that there is not equal treatment in many things, I always think like, okay, but this will, this will not happen to me because I will not allow it in a way, you know? But then, of course, what frightens me is that it can happen. And I mean, it, it is there and... and Yeah, it frightens me that I will be ever stopped and that, that I will lose, in a way, this thrive that I have to fight. Because I, I feel sometimes that I'm fighting all the time. It's like, like give me a rest, you know, with <laughs> these things. Um, and I take many of these things, like, very personal, and I'm really passionate about that. So, like, now, for example, we're having a, a very, very deep talks with FIFA regarding uh, the regulation for professional football players of maternity leave. That is not regulated in football. So if you're a football player, good luck with your family. You cannot have it or you have to quit football. And, and you know, like we prepared a whole project. I put like all my energy in it. And then you sometimes get some responses. And in this case, it was not necessarily from FIFA, but also other people outside, but in the industry, 
that you're like, whoa. And so sometimes, you know, these things like scare me in a way, like how how you sometimes take for granted that some values that you feel so deeply about are like the values and that no, they are not maybe shared with by everyone. And and yeah, I don't know, it can be frustrating. I just hope that I, you know, that I always still have this energy to keep on going, although you you get sometimes so so many fights to fight. <laughs> um, that's one thing. And maybe another thing that like I really hope that I can always have this balance that um, which, th this was a pretty challenging period for me, like this COVID period, because uh, we started traveling, uh, traveling sorry, uh, working from home. And I think that maybe different to other industries, we were so busy, incredibly busy, because all these players were without contracts, they didn't know what to do, and we were extremely busy. So I started waking up earlier um, I started working sometimes after I put the kids to bed and I started, you know, overdoing it. And I had always been really proud of my balance that I put to myself. I go like, okay, I work really hard, I do my best, but now I stop and then I go to my kids, to my husband. And in this period, I really, really, uh, yeah, struggled with that. And, and now I think that now I'm going back to, to that balance but it is something that I never thought that it would be a problem for me. I always talked about it like, yeah, yeah, but that is a personal thing. So if you put your boundaries, then everything is good. And then it happened to me. So, I mean, it can always happen in a way. And, and you don't see it coming because you justify it to yourself saying, ah, it's only one day, it's only one week, it's only one month, it's only two months. And then you're like, whoa, now it's, now it's an everyday thing. And it, it is something that you before uh, were opposing so much to, because I really believe in, in you know, in, in family and work balance. Actually, that is one of the things that is really uh, nice from the Netherlands, that here you are normally entitled to work more or less as many days as you want. Of course, you get paid for what you work, but it is something that in Uruguay, um, I don't know if now maybe it changed, but when I lived there, it was not possible. I mean, if you're a lawyer, you kind of say like, yeah, I work four days per week or three days or two days. Like they go like, yeah, yeah, good luck. <laughs> so um, so that is really nice from the Netherlands. And I, I used to work four days uh, full time. And then it was three days, you know, for the kids and for the family and for myself. Um, and well, and now I'm back to five, but I want to go back to the four days uh, because I really think it's it's very important for everything. And I think that in the end, you do better because you feel better with yourself. And although you might love your work as I do, because I really love it, I, I'm so committed with what I do. There's other things be besides that. So yeah, I think it's good to have a, a balance. I think this is such a great way to end this conversation to talk about balance. And I, I like how you, when you started talking about it, you said balance for me. And I think that's very important. And that uh, reminds me of a conversation I actually had uh, last night with some friends is that everyone has its own version of a balance. And I think it's very important for us to keep on listening to our bodies and allowing ourselves uh, to 
to find our own balance. So what what is the balance for you might not be a balance for Maka, might not be for me, or even might not be a balance for you in five years from now. And I think that's um, something what you also said at some point uh, of our conversation when you were talking about your global community is that we are all so different. And I think this is something that we women need to understand each other more like uh, and accept these differences, uh, how we all look at the world and also understand the world. That once you understand how people are very different, then you tend to move away from right and wrong. So if I can only give you one thing is that uh, probably during this whole pandemic, one way for you to to moving your balance a little bit was also probably a way of you coping because that's something that we found uh, talking to, to other women that all of us did something more than we usually were doing it. For me, it was running and alcohol, I think. <laughs> in a way, it's, it's something that, that, that we are all doing. And just to wrap it up, if you can say in one sentence or less, uh, what makes you rock? Um, my energy. Woo. <laughs> I love her. And not because it's Uruguayan, I need to say. Thank you, Alex, for this conversation. I'm so happy we invited you. I, I'm so happy for all the things you shared with us. Zoya, I love doing this with you. Navisa, I hope you are there listening to us. Thank you, Alex. You can check her on her, or her social media. We keep we need to keep supporting women that works in this kind of industries. Uh, and I'm so happy that FIPRO has your your view, your values with them. Uh, I really think they are really lucky. So thank you for the conversation. Thank you. She Rocks Global is a podcast collaboration produced by Macarena Botta, Nwabi Samayema, and Zoya Kukic. This season of She Rocks Global was recorded in the American Corner Cape Town, which is also where you will find our sound engineer, Tikrai Gegana. Theme music for this podcast is composed and arranged through a collaboration between South African musician Nosihe and Hannah Sagasa from Germany. Mixing engineer is T Luminous. She Rocks Global is a podcast that showcases the stories of perfectly imperfect women from around the world. Should you be or know someone whom you think we should be talking to, please contact us through our Facebook or Instagram or Twitter channels. Handle SheRocksGlobal, hashtag SheRocks. Until next time, keep rocking.